Okay. So welcome everybody. Um, my topic today is the psychological and physiological effects of forgiveness. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I, I'm a pediatrician. Um, and uh, so I hope I don't get too technical for anyone. <laughs> I'm going to start with the bad news and then we're going to go to the good news. Okay. So by the bad news, I mean the effects of unforgiveness on the body and what it does to your body. Found this fantastic article um, from the American Psychological Association um, and it's called uh, The Stress Effects of the Body. And so um, when you have acute stress, right, um, someone scares you or you're giving a lecture, <laughs> Um, your heart rate increases, your blood flow increases, and you go into this fight or flight mode, which I'm sure you've all heard of, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, and when you are in a constant state of stress, which is caused by holding in anger and being unforgiving, that's part of you know um, causing that constant stress, um, you are continually in a constant state of guardedness and tension. Um, and so there are multiple effects on your body from this. Um, one is going to be on the respiratory system. So I'm just gonna go by system by system. So the lungs, okay? Um, when you are in this constant state of tension and when you have that acute fight or flight, you breathe harder. You're trying to get more blood to the rest of your body. So you tend to take shallower <coughs> breaths and hyperventilate. Okay, um, and this, if, especially if you have underlying lung conditions like asthma, can trigger your asthma um, and cause more asthma attacks. But it also can cause effects like panic attacks. So people who have panic attacks are doing the shallow breathing and not, and, um, not breathing effectively. Um, and in fact, I found in one article, it talks about how holding in anger and having unforgiveness can hurt your lungs. And it said that there was a Harvard University scientist that did a study and they did hostility ratings on men and they answered questions as far as hostility ratings. And they said that those who had the highest hostility ratings had significantly worse lung capacity, so ability to breathe and carry oxygen to the rest of their body and increased risk of respiratory problems. And they postulated, they thought that maybe that this uptick in chronic stress hormones caused inflammation in the airways and a chronic inflammation. So that's your lungs. Um, the cardiovascular effects, so in the acute fight or flight mode, right, you have increased heart rate and increased contractions in the heart and contraction strength to get that blood out to those muscles to be ready to run, right? If there's a tiger coming at you, you gotta be ready. Um, and there's an increase in stress hormones, um, epinephrine and cortisol. Um, and the blood vessels to the large muscles in the heart dilate. The problem is that increases blood pressure, which is good when you're in acute mode, but chronically, that's not good. Um, so when you have chronic stress, you have chronic high blood pressure, um, you have an increased um, risk of heart attack and stroke. And in fact, I saw one article um, that when you have this chronic stress and have an angry outburst, it says that um, within two hours after an angry outburst, the chance of having a heart attack doubles. 
So that's really impressive. And then also this increased hypertension um, as far as stroke risk. It talks about strokes, an increased risk of strokes. And it was saying um, if you're chronically angry and you have these chronic you know, angry outbursts as an effect of it, it can um, have, give you a three times higher risk of having a stroke during the two hours after an angry outburst. So it can be pretty harsh on the body and the um, heart system and the, and the um, and stroke. Um, and they felt like the chronic inflammation, again, from those stress hormones, um, can increase your risk of not only a heart attack, but also ra um, raise your cholesterol levels. So cause heart disease, um, uh, a higher risk of heart disease. Um, and now for women, it was interesting, just as an aside, um, premenopausal women, the estrogen has a little bit of a protective effect, but once you've gone through menopause and your estrogen levels dropped, that level will increase um, for risk of heart attack. Okay, moving on to your endocrine system. So that's your hormones, and it's the hormones that are causing these effects, right? So um, there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus, and that signals your nervous system and your pituitary to produce, again, epinephrine and cortisol. Those are your stress hormones. Um, and if you're chronically releasing those to some level, as you can imagine, that's not good for your body. Um, it also can cause um, your liver to produce more glucose. So your liver stores glucose, but when you need that extra energy, glucose is your sugar for your body, your extra energy for your muscles, it releases it, right, for your fight or flight. Now, if you're doing that chronically, that's gonna raise your blood sugar levels, that's gonna increase your risk for diabetes, type two diabetes over time. The other risk is you have a high level, cortisol's a steroid, has anybody ever taken steroids for any length of time? What does that do to your appetite? Revs up your appetite, makes you eat more, right? And weight gain increases your risk for type 2 diabetes, okay? So you've got that double effect from the steroids, plus the sugar, high sugar levels, and the increased appetite. So you're really upping your risk for diabetes, okay? Um, and the GI system and the stomach, um, they found that there's an association with heartburn and reflux, <coughs> heartburn, ulcers, and also diarrhea and constipation. So several effects on that system. And moving on to your brain and your nervous system. In your central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord, um, it causes your, the acute fight or flight, it's gonna cause you to be more alert, right? Those hormones and that increased blood, you're gonna be more alert, you're gonna have better <coughs> eyesight, hearing, right? Um, and then on your autonomic system, which is the peripheral nerves, you have two types, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Stay with me here, I'm not, I know I'm getting technical. Your parasympathetic system is the rest and digest. That is not when you're fight or flight. That's kind of when you're soothed and eating and you know, body's digesting, all right. But your sympathetic, that's the one that sends the message to your body and your adrenal glands to release that epi and cortisol, epinephrine and cortisol. Okay, and that's the one that's stimulated. And again, it says that increases heart rate, respiratory rate, blood vessel dilation in your arms and legs, and et cetera. And so when you're chronically having 
your um, sympathetic nervous system releasing these steroids. That's a long-term <coughs> drain on your body. It's, it's a constant. One article I read said it's like idling your car too high for too long. It's just a constant level of stress on your body. Um, and also your effects on the brain and your central nervous system it can cause anxiety and depression, as you can imagine. Um, and one study, one article says that it can make your anxiety much worse. And there's a 2012 study that showed that the chronic stress and anger can exacerbate or increase symptoms of a generalized anxiety disorder. So if you already have worry that interferes with your day-to-day -day life, um, it, can, it can increase that and make it a lot worse. And it also says um, that hostility, along with internalized unexpressed anger in particular, contributed to that increased anxiety. And then like I said, um, it can cause depression and, and, and ruin your depression. Interestingly, in men, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but oftentimes men's depression comes out not so much as what we think of normal depression, just feeling blue, but as a level of anger. They have a chronic anger. And, and uh, it's talking about um, how uh, passive anger, where you ruminate, ruminate about it all the time, is common in men, and especially if you're having this chronic stress. Um, so the book of forgiving that we have here, I've seen this here, Desmond Tutu, um, he talks about, he just kind of lists off um, multiple effects of, of unforgiveness, um, and some of these are repeats, but increased, increased blood pressure, anxiety, depression, insomnia, ulcers, migraines, backaches, heart attack, and cancer. Um, okay, that's the bad news. Let's get to some of the good news. Um, so some of the effects of actually forgiving. Um, and a lot of this I got from this book of forgiving, just so you know where some, much, much of this came from. All right, so let's start. Um, there are, I want to talk about four main benefits of being forgiving, of forgiveness. One is the psychological effects. Um, two is physiologic, like what happens with your body. But three, social. We don't talk about the social effects, but I really want to touch a little bit on that. And then also the spiritual effects of forgiveness. So those four things I'm going to kind of touch on each one. So um, starting with the um, psychological effects of forgiveness. Um, it can, being forgiving, and let me just, I may, I may get to this um, later on, but it in many of the articles and much of the, what I read, including the book, it really delineates between conditional forgiveness and unconditional forgiveness. So conditional forgiveness, I think in the Book of Forgiving, is the example he gave is saying, I forgive you for stealing my pen as long as you give it back to me. And then we're all square. It's all good. That's conditional forgiveness. But unconditional forgiveness is, you know what? 
take the pin. I, I'm going to let that go. It's not worth ruminating and being angry about. I'm going to let that go. And by doing so, I'm no longer going to be tethered to this, to you, to this anger, okay? I'll get to that more a little bit later. But these effects really have a much better effect when it's unconditional forgiveness, okay? So psychological effects, as you can imagine, it can reduce depression, increase hopefulness, increase emotional self-confidence and self-esteem, decrease anger, um, decrease anxiety, stress, and hostility, and it helps you forgive yourself. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But um, so, um, let's see, how do I, okay. Well, we'll just talk about helps you forgive yourself. There was an article that I talked about um, and it said that in particular, people who ask for forgiveness for a wrongdoing found that they, um, well, they were found to be more likely to feel it was okay to forgive themselves. So when they asked for forgiveness for a wrongdoing, they found like, felt like it was okay to forgive themselves and let themselves off the hook. Um, and then, uh, again, the less anxiety, stress, and hostility, uh, decreased anger. Um, and then there was another article by the American Psychological Association that particularly talked about forgiveness improving mental health and physical health. And um, there's a book called Forgiveness and Health that they touched on. And they said that the, the, the chief factor in this improvement in mental health was in fact stress relief. So all those things that we talked about, all that chronic stress on your body, the chief factor was stress relief and letting go of toxic anger. And this article did talk about, in particular, um, anger is okay. It, it's not saying that anger is a bad thing. It was the holding on to the anger that was the bad thing and not discussing it. And it really stressed, you can get angry about something. And the best way to deal with that is to directly say, you made me mad, and talk about it and let it go, rather than not talking about it and holding it in. And that's, that's the toxic anger that this article was, in fact, talking about. Um, and on the rebuilding self-esteem, um, it was talking about when you let this anger go, when you let this um, victimization go, you, you move away from your role as a victim and you release the control and the power that the offender has in your life. You no longer have a hold on me and I am worth letting go of this. And that in, in, in that way, you can increase your self-worth and self-esteem. Um, and then it also, that article talked about, um, there was a study that showed that high lifetime stress levels correlated with worse mental health. We already knew that, we talked about that, just in general. But interestingly, those who 
so they, they asked them, are you likely to hold a grudge and all these other questions about uh, forgiveness and lack of forgiveness. And those who scored high on measures of forgiveness, um, the stress did not predict poor mental health at all. So this article was saying they, they expected it to kind of lessen it, but they didn't expect it to zero it out. You know, that, that was amazing that it completely, your chances of poor mental health outcomes just went away for those who had these high levels of forgiveness um, or scored high on the levels of forgiveness. Okay, um, so that's the psychological. Um, so physiological effects um, of forgiveness on the body. Um, we've already um, talked a little bit about that, but as you can imagine, it lowers your blood pressure and it improves your heart health. Um, there was a 2011 study that showed that you could um, have a longer lifespan if you have um, traits of unconditional forgiveness. And it can strengthen your immune system, which I found was fascinating. They did this article about um, AIDS patients and what's missing is um, in your AIDS patients, what, what decreases something called your CD4 count, which is what helps you fight infections. And they showed that those who practiced, those patients who had AIDS or HIV, who practiced genuine forgiveness um, towards someone who had hurt them, had a higher CD4 count than those who did not. Um, so I found that that was fascinating. So it can has effects um, for your immune system as well. Okay, um, so moving on to um, social. Oh, you know what? I want to go back really quickly on the psychological effects. There was a really interesting um, a quotation from Desmond Tutu in this book that I don't want to miss. Um, and he says that forgiveness, asking forgiveness and granting forgiveness is an invitation to find healing and peace. And interestingly, he says in his native language, one asks for forgiveness by saying, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but it's nidis chel uxolo. Anyway, what the phrase means is, I ask for peace. And that is how you ask for forgiveness. I ask for peace. Psychologically, you can grant yourself and others peace. Okay. Um, and then as far as the physiological, I meant to say that um, as far as the blood pressure drop and the immune system healthier, um, in this book also, there's a wonderful quotation that says, whether hatred is projected out or it's stuffed in, it is always corrosive to the human spirit. And I found that fascinating. Whether hatred is projected out or stuffed inside, either way, it is always corrosive to the human spirit. Either way. Okay. So, um, moving on to the social effects. <clears throat> so, if you are in an argument with others um, or you are unforgiving or um, let's say in, for example in the book he talks about um, family squabbles in particular and being unforgiving. It can lead to social isolation. You're not going to the family reunion if you're in an argument with 
so-and-so, right? You're, you, or you um, are not going to go to out with these friends because you're mad at them, you know, and they did this to you, right? Um, and um, <clears throat> in this book of forgiving, it talks about um, a woman at Harvard, Dr. Lisa Berkman, and she did a study that said that people who were socially, socially isolated were three times more likely to die prematurely, those who had social isolation. And um, fascinatingly, th there was a study that showed that um, those who had, now, so it's, they studied people with an unhealthy lifestyle, um, people who were smokers, no exercise, obesity, that kind of thing. And it said that those who had a strong social circle, lots of friends, um, really um, had good relationships and had all these negative effects, smoking, obesity, no exercise, actually lived longer than those who had a healthy lifestyle but a weak social circle. So having those social connect interconnectedness actually negated the effects of some of that unhealthy lifestyle. Um, and uh, science has shown, some scientific studies have shown that loneliness um, is a greater risk factor for disease and death than smoking. Um, and then it talks too about we're interconnected. We don't suffer alone. Our whole community suffers. And there's a quotation he has in here that about anger and bitterness. And it says, they, anger and bitterness do not just poison you. They poison all your relationships, including those with your children. And if you think about that, as far as social circle, um, family squabbles, right? You're not going to see cousins. You're not going to have those strong, supportive relationships. Um, I think about um, in our family with, um, with uh, Aaron and Patrick. Um, my kids love their cousins, love their cousins. They love hanging out with them. They love doing things with them. And, and we have that strong support. And I can't imagine saying, you made me mad. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I, I would hate to cut that off for Isaac and Rachel. Um, they really love that. And, and hanging out with Grandma and Grandpa and, you know, having that strong, uh, supported uh, relationship. So, um, again, you poison all your relationships. And not only your relationship, but those of your children and um, children's children. Okay. Um, and so then we're moving on to spiritual effects. And again, this really stressed that unconditional forgiveness um, it's, um, it's given as a grace, not as a conditional thing, um, forgiveness. Um, and when you do that, um, and he says this in here, you're untethered from a yoke uh, that bounds you to that, um, with a victim perpetrator tethering, right? You let that go and you relinquish the idea of revenge. You're not in that circle of you hurt me, I hurt you, you hurt me, I hurt you, right? It's broken. Um, and I found, um, oh, okay, and a, a, this American Psychological Association article about forgiveness improving mental health talks about um, those who were religious, including and especially those who prayed, and had more forgiveness, 
uh, and were more forgiving, and in turn had less stress. Interestingly, it wasn't just Christians. Uh, Hindus, Muslims, those who had that unconditional forgiveness were going to have le had less stress, right, and less of those chronic effects on the body. I found this wonderful article written by a Jewish man, <clears throat> and uh, he t it's, the article is called Grudge Match, Can Unforgiveness Be Bad for Our Health? And he talks about Yom Kippur, um, which I didn't know anything about, <laughs> so I looked up, and it is a day of atonement, and it's a day for making amends. Um, and he stresses, this is particularly with God, um, but he says that before Yom Kippur, you seek reconciliation with others. And, um, and I'm, I, what I read says that Yom Kippur is your last day um, before your um, wrongs are inscripted in the Book of Life, basically, each year. Um, and so it is your day of asking for forgiveness and forgiving um, each year. Um, and um, he talks about here how forgiveness is the bedrock of a civil society. Um, and he talks about the social part of most, the most obvious alternative to forgiveness would be this never-ending cycle of resentment and revenge, right? You're just stuck in that cycle. Um, and then he says, um, and he talks about some of the negative effects of uh, not forgiving. And he says, for religious believers, Yom Kippur isn't as much about granting forgiveness to others as it is about receiving forgiveness from God. And he talks about a 2003 study that showed that um, in general, those who tended to practice forgiveness reported greater personal well-being, including, including lower levels of depression and physical health complaints, as well as higher levels of life satisfaction. So none of that is surprising. We've talked about that, right? Um, so you, they tend to have better personal well-being and lower depression and lower physical complaints and higher life satisfaction if they're more forgiving. But then he talked about the two different types that we talked about, conditional and unconditional forgiveness. And he said that um, unconditional forgiveness, not surprisingly, was associated with higher levels of well-being. But conditional forgiveness was actually associated with lower levels of well-being. And it says, by requiring the offender's contrition, or saying, wrong, saying they did wrong, we're letting the person who harmed us decide if or when we can benefit from forgiveness. And that's giving the wrongdoer a lot of control over our lives. So again, by requiring them to say, I did wrong, we're giving them a lot of control instead of giving up saying, you don't have control over me anymore. And it's said that this is where belief in God's forgiveness, a factor common among many religions, comes into the picture. They found that participants who believed in God, or believed that God had forgiven them for their wrongdoings, were more likely to offer others unconditional forgiveness.
um, than those who didn't believe that they had received God's forgiveness. And in short, forgiveness may be a kind of gift that keeps on giving. Believing we received it ourselves makes us more likely to give it to others without requiring anything from them. Um, and this last sentence, uh, he says, it's intriguing to think that just as unforgiveness can initiate a cycle of revenge seeking, perhaps receiving forgiveness can initiate a cycle of forgiveness giving. Forgiveness may be the gift, may be a gift we can give ourselves and to the world around us. Um, it's a very good article. Um, all right. Hey, we've got about five or so minutes um, to discuss, um, ask questions, any thoughts. Um, hope I didn't get too technical in that first part. <laughs> I'm not too, I'm not a doctor and I am embarrassed to make a medical decision about my brother and, and me. But um, my father was unfaithful to my mother evidently multiple times. Mm -hmm. But I didn't find out until we had left the town where all this had happened. And I was older. And I actually, you know, I, I felt bad for my mother, but I also felt bad for my father. I could see it in his face. I could see how ashamed he was. He would have accidents in an automobile. Um, you know, lots of accidents. Bumpy heads, fall off things, you know. Lots of accidents. I just, I, I did feel sorry for him. And I had learned so much from him and admired him so much that it was easy for me to forgive him. My brother, on the other hand, was five years older than I. So not only did he know about it, he was in school where my father was the superintendent. And I'm sure everybody knew about it. And my brother knew about it. He could not forgive my dad. And my mother asked me, when I, when she, before she died, she said, why does he hate your dad so much? And I, I thought, isn't that odd that he can't forgive him? And then I, it dawned on me, He'd been, a, he'd been an adolescent while all that was going on. He heard about it. He knew the town knew. I didn't know that my friends knew. I didn't know anything about it at that time. So it was, it was not difficult for me to forgive my father. It was impossible, seemingly, for my brother to. Uh, he died at 82. I will be 80 in December. And I have not been sick. You know, I, he, he was always sick, uh -huh. had multiple health problems. Um, some of them were, for sure, very real. He'd, been, he'd had a back injury that he just never could quite recover from and had taken drugs and so forth to try to get over that. But others, you know, just always sick, sick with something, always high blood pressure and the diabetes, the whole works. And, uh, you know, his sons would look at me and wonder why at my age I was okay. And I, I didn't say anything to him. I said, I, somehow I guess I got the good genes. Uh, I used to laugh and say, I got the good genes because you didn't get the good ones. But I do believe it was that um, almost to the end, he was still angry. Mm -hmm. um, he was angry about, you, you couldn't talk with him about politics. You couldn't talk with him about religion. He was angry with me. 
for being just our child. Um, you know, just angry at, in general. Um, and had really a limited number of close friends. A very limited number of close friends. Um, and I just always thought if there had been some way that he could just let it go, let but Dad did go. Mm -hmm. um, I laughed and said, reading John Updike's series of rabbit, you know, the serial uh, adulterer hero of four books by John Updike. My dad grew up in the same time as that character and Bill Clinton, and I thought, you know, that there were ways to prove that you were a man, and that was one. My dad didn't drink, he didn't smoke, didn't have to go to, to war. So that was the way, that was the way Updike portrayed Rabbit, it's the way Bill Clinton was. You've got to prove that you're a man somehow, and unfortunately chose that one. Uh, and I, I, I was able to forgive him. And I, I'm glad I was able to forgive him, because I do, I have felt better. I have had fewer, fewer illnesses. Um, and it is easier for me to forgive other people than it was for him to. Because it's very hard for him. I, well, I don't know if he was able to. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up, because um, in, in of the papers that I read, there was a book written, a 2015 book, Forgiveness and Health, that I brought some things up from. And there are two psychiatrists that um, wrote this book have studied how to bring about forgiveness. And it says forgiveness is a practice. It's something that you work on. And it's, um, you should remember that it's, you know, if you think you're not a very forgiving person, um, it's like when you're on a diet and you have a piece of cake and you, that doesn't mean you're, you can't diet. It means you've had a setback and you get back on the wagon and you try again. And that is a similar with forgiveness. You keep trying. But they said both of them have had the most success working with patients, um, finding um, methods of forgiveness if they centered their therapy on trying to understand the offender and why they would do what they did and finding a measure of compassion for them. And they said it, across the board, that has been the most effective method of helping people find forgiveness, is trying to find some humanity, and Desmond Tutu talks about that, finding some humanity in that other person and trying to understand where, what, what brought them to what they've done and as Matutu even says, there but for the grace of God go I. Is there a possibility that I could fall into that? Uh, you know, or, or, you know, could have ever. Um, and if you, if you shut that door, then that can lead you to hold that anger for a long time period. When I lived in New York, I, I taught school and that were not practicing um, Judaism taught at my school. And every year, you know, we would go out and have, uh, not every year, but we would go out and have lunch or dinner or, you know, go to something except for the Jewish uh, High Holy Days. And people that did not practice Judaism practiced that element. That I, people that I knew who practiced Judaism mm -hmm. did not like 
Judaism would practice the art of going to make amends. Really? And I thought that was just such a wonderful thing that they did. You know, they couldn't go to dinner or to whatever because they had to go and see these people. Mm -hmm. Priority one, yeah. I think there are people in this church, we've been here 40 years now, and people in this church have held grudges during that, much of that time. Mm -hmm. And when Rob, when I wish, wish Charles was still here, during his call to the table at the first service that you'll hear in the second if you go, mm -hmm. there was you know, a kind of inclusiveness mm -hmm. <coughs> about that, mm -hmm. that we are here in spite of our diversities. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take a few minutes <coughs> to circulate as Jennings Davis did when, when he was here. <coughs> he was here in 1960, and he told about a church in Santa Barbara that was having troubles. And uh, Lamar, you may have heard, heard this. He, he said, I was invited <coughs> to that church, and I for, the, I, for the first time I met with the church, I said, I want you to circulate here for the next two hours and say, thank you, I love you, and I'm sorry. <coughs> he said it really hurt, helped the church who was in a they were in an acute situation of unforgiveness <coughs> and maybe we need that time thank you I love you and I'm sorry yeah. Yeah. <coughs> uh, people used to wonder why there were over a hundred churches and there used to be a sign when you come in Zero sum game. Right, zero sum game. Well, I think <coughs> it doesn't work at Santa Barbara because when we lived there, Santa Barbara was a sort of a shiny congregation for the left of them, for each other and for the world. So it must work. <laughs> well, I love the story. Well, thank you all very much for coming.